Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I'm still the same hot mess some days. I'm I'm still the one who struggles with, with anger and trauma from my past. And so it's not like it's all perfect. So there's so many miraculous aspects to it about getting sober. It's something I do now to live a life that is actually enjoyable. But I think more than anything, it shows me that I can do anything as long as I keep trying. My guest today is named Jules. She is the author of the memoir, The Making of a Woman, a story about childhood trauma, sexual abuse, and alcoholism. Welcome to the show, Jules. Well, hey, I'm Jules. I'm glad to be here. We've been trying to put this together for a couple of weeks, so I'm grateful that our schedule is finally lined up. Um, I am an award-winning author of the book, um, The Making of a Woman, and it is a memoir. It's a, my story of where I started, the, the, the depths, the darkness I went through, and then when I got sober, better yet, when I found recovery, that's a huge phase. And then ultimately what my life is like today. Um, I, I've celebrated 15 years of sobriety and it is incredibly mind blowing to look back, even at my own story, to look back and, and see what life used to be like in comparison of what it's like today. So I'm super glad that we're able to connect and, and that I get to share this yet one more time. Yeah, I'm glad that we were finally able to make this happen. I feel like we had to reschedule a couple times, and yeah. we had some some crossed wires there a couple times. So I'm glad that we were able to do this, and I'm grateful for your patience and, and <laughs> willingness to try again and again and again. It feels like it was never going to happen. <laughs> so glad to have you on. And, uh, yeah. I would love to to hear a little bit about your backstory. Obviously, since it's a memoir, I don't want you to give away all the details because I oh. want people to buy the book. But maybe if you wouldn't mind kind of taking us back and, and what it was like when you were using and, and you were talking about that crucial time of finding recovery. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that. Absolutely. You know, just a little snapshot of growing up. I think so much of our drinking and drugging has to do with the upbringing that we've undergone. And so, you know, mine was back in the Midwest in a small rural town. Um, it was in the 70s. I have to believe my mom had limited resources. I mean, she was a woman at that time. That in itself gave her a lot of uh, limitations. Um, and ultimately, my, my biological father was, uh, was an alcoholic. And, you know, during one of his um, drunken stupors, 
Now, keep in mind, my, my dad was a loving, amazing daddy. I never saw anything um, that proved any differently, right? Uh, he would take me hunting. I mean, he was, I was always by his side. I was just kind of that raggedy kid that was always in tow. And, uh, and, and it was fabulous. I loved it. I loved being in the, you know, the front seat of his truck as, you know, we were hauling ass down some, you know, dirt road. It was that kind of, that kind of relationship. And so when this evening happened, it was, it, it was surprising to me. It, I didn't know it was foreign. I just didn't, I've never seen this side, but apparently um, my, my dad had come home again, very drunk. And at the time was in a very um, failing uh, small business. And of course, the pride of being the one who brings home the money, um, he found it in his best of the choices he had was to commit a family suicide. And that evening, um, he would come back and say goodbye to me as my mom would take the gun and throw it over the porch. And this went on for hours, this repeated, go back, say goodbye, come back, start writing the letter again. You know, and however my mom went, made that, I, I don't know. I don't even know what it would be like to be a woman in that situation. But um, fortunately, there was no deaths that evening, not mine, obviously, nor my mom's, nor my dad's. You know, I believe that source intervened with some of our gods and skins. And uh, a friend came out and talked with my dad as my mom and I were able to run from that, from that evening, from that situation, from that relationship. And, and now quickly she, she remarried, you know, I think again, it had to do with the limited resources, you know, she, she worked at a, as a secretary, I'm sure whatever minimal wage was then, um, the, the idea of actually being able to support both of us was probably not even a, a reality. And so, um, we, you know, we quickly remarried into this next relationship and this is one, I became one of six kids and I got lost. I got lost. I had a lot of trauma underneath. And it, it was then pretty much sandwiched with more trauma of sexual abuse and verbal abuse um, from, the, from the new family. And so, um, you know, I was just one of those very, in, you know, timid, small children, super frail, quiet, just scared, just scared of everything. And, um, you know, we moved around quite a bit. Uh, went, you know, I finally got to, um, you know, my parents. Uh, ultimately, I was, you know, taken out of the family by uh, the authorities. And um, once I hit ninth grade, uh, a counselor pretty much told me that I wasn't going to be successful and that there were other ways to get my GED or get my high school diploma. And the GED was the option. And all I saw was a, a, just a blaring green light for me to get the hell out of the situation. And so I took it. And so at age 14, I was now an adult and I plummished out into the world with those life skills. And um, ultimately, you know, drugs and alcohol were a part of that. It was the solution that kept me from being like, I guess, publicly insane. I mean, I just, I had everything, like just all of this anger and rage. And, but then I'm also trying to survive. And so I'm defensive and Man, alcohol was my was my band-aid that kept all of that <laughs> contained. And so, you know, it worked for me for many years. And then it slowly stopped working. And it slowly started to give me some really big consequences. And 
And I moved, I, I moved, I, I was this chameleon. So the relationships that I would, I, I would chameleonize into, you know, being who I needed to be, you know, that mask we put on, our, our, you know, to, to be what, they, what we think they want us to be. And, and that went on for 19 years. It just blows my mind to think of the amount of strength and resilience it takes for one person to be out there just pushing through like that. And ultimately, you know, I bounced on the bottom a few times, but again, that resiliency brought me back up. Keeping in mind the bar keeps lowering a little bit. It's not like, you know, like what I say, it bumps me back up. It was not like it brought me back up into like the social, you know, norms of life. I mean, that just meant I had another roof over my head or another relationship to chameleonize to. So at the age of 35, I nonchalantly said to a couple of my friends, we shouldn't drink so much. And their little ears went up like damn antennas. And both of those women were in recovery themselves. And within 30 minutes of me saying that, I was sitting in the rooms of recovery for the first time. And I've never left. I've never left. I never want to go back. And so that first year, probably year and a half, all of the things that I kept the Band-Aid on, that, that, that the alcohol kept down, came up. <laughs> and so, man, I'm telling you, the people in the rooms, they're angels. They, they, maybe they can only tolerate me for an hour at a time. <laughs> but I was a hot mess. I was so sick. I, I was struggling with the disease of alcoholism. I was a child of trauma. I mean, there was just so many layers. And these patient yet tolerant people or maybe just the ability to keep their mouth shut, allowed me to come in and just unfold and let loose. And I mean, I was promiscuous. I was inappropriate on, on, the, on the words I used. My perception of everybody was delusional. I didn't, ha- I didn't trust anybody. So over the course of getting sober, patiently, day by day, these people held space for me. It was exactly what I needed. I don't think basic therapy would have been effective enough. I needed to be in that hardcore, raw recovery room in order to, to actually ex- to be able to experience some of that healing. And so that's where I'm at today. I'm grateful that was 15 years ago. I still have the same me. I'm still the same hot mess some days. I'm, I'm still the one who struggles with, with anger and trauma from my past. And so it's not like it's all perfect. I, I just had therapy two days ago. You know, it's like, it's something I do now to live a life that is actually enjoyable. I don't, I don't have to fight today. So there's so many miraculous aspects to it about getting sober. But I think more than anything, it shows me that I can do anything as long as I keep trying. And that's incredible talking about your friends brought you to that first meeting and you haven't left. Like that's, Man. that's incredible. Cause I've heard so many stories of people going in and out and that's part of my story. You know, I wasn't committed yeah. to it. The first, the first meeting I went to, I thought everybody there was crazy. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't believe that it was real. I didn't believe that the happiness and joy and stuff that I saw on people's faces was real. I thought everybody was 
putting on a show for that hour. Right. And I didn't believe that there was any way that you could be that happy, joyous and free without some kind of substance in your body as I just never experienced that. Mm-hmm. And, and it took me a while to, to get the concepts of recovery and to actually decide to give it a try. So, you know, I, I, I commend you for, for being able to go in that, to that first meeting and come in and stay and not have that first re- or have a relapse. You know, you came to that first meeting and, and stayed. That's, that's incredible. You know, I think that just tells you how crazy I was and how delusional I was because a little dose of like love, I mean, the hugs that women gave me were paramount for me coming back. Um, the patience, right? Cause just like you're saying, it's like, you look at these people and you're like, this is, this is fake. Like kind of when I would go to church and everybody be happy, joyous and free. And then you get out in the parking lot and they're like, and they're these completely different figures of people. And that's how it was. And I think that's what pissed me off even more is I would come into this room and I was a mess and I'd be like, this is BS. I know this is fake. And it's almost like I stayed despite, (laughs) despite really what was happening, because that's what I was used to is going in and fighting something. And, and I think source was just like, girl, I got you. You're going to be a mess, but just keep coming back here. And it was that little dose of being seen or them saying, Jules, we'll, we'll see you tomorrow. Right. And I was blown away by such a state, you know, or when I would show up and there'd be, you know, I'd show up angry or happy or God knows what. And they'd be like, Hey, come sit up here with me. Oh my God. Unbelievable. As small as that sounds, those words were life-changing. Like you want me to sit next to you in the front? Yeah. So those were the little things that kept me. It wasn't that I was wise. (laughs) It was not that I thought, wow, my life is a complete mess. I better stay. That was not it at all. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's amazing just how those little small gestures, how much they can mean to us, especially in early recovery. I can remember pretty early on, I I had lost my driver's license and, and one of the guys invited me over to his house for a barbecue. And I was like, man, that I, I really appreciate the invitation, but I can't come. And he's like, well, why not? And I was like, well, because I, I can't drive. You know, I was really embarrassed and didn't want him to know that I couldn't make it there because I didn't have a car anymore and I didn't have a license. And so he leaves his own barbecue and drives to my parents' house and picks me up and brings me back. And I just remember just being like, so overwhelmed and just like blown away by just the kindness of this person that I barely knew. And it's like, there's something different with these people in this room. Like, I don't know what it is, but there's something different about them. That's an awesome example. And, and I can, co- can totally feel that. Like the idea that you would leave your own party, like not even just come pick me up on your way to the party, but to leave your own party and to come to you, pick you up and bring you to the celebration. Oh my God, I have chills. (laughs) Yeah, those are the miracles I think we hear about. The idea that people like that actually exist. And then now to be able to be the person, right? Exactly, yeah. That's the awesome part. But uh, yeah, it's just a fond memory. It just reminds me of just like the beauty of, of recovery and the fellowship that we have. Yeah. I'd be curious to know, how did you get to the point of, of wanting to write a book? Was there something in you where you just felt like you had to put your story on paper or have you done writing in the past? What, what brought that about? You know, I think 
really what this has been a seed that's been planted all along. And I think it's because when you have stories like ours and you tell normal people, their first comment is, girl, you need to write a book. <laughs> and so that's really where it began. I, I meditated on it, uh, the, even the title of it. Um, it got to the point where, you know, sources with me, source kind of just keeps moving me in directions. And so things that resonate with me catch my attention. And so that may be like, there's a phase of my recovery where I could not get enough literature or other people's memoirs. I'm just reading everybody else's story. So I had this bout where it's just kept popping up on my Amazon. Like this is suggested reading and that, and I was just like, ah, and then it was like, wow, how could I write a memoir? And so then it was this piecemeal that came together. Then ultimately, you know, I was able to like draft out my timeline, which was a really big ordeal. There were so many blackout faces. (laughs) And so to piecemeal this together, and then ultimately this person referred me to this person, you know, came to when Marlena and I met. And it was within a six month window that the making of a woman was actually created and published. And so it was all in divine time. And it was exactly with the people that I needed to have within that circle to make that happen. So, you know, we're always about like, hey, how do I get to there? You know, like way over there to the successful side. This was totally God saying, all right, girl, I got you. Just take my hand. We're going to step this, you know. And so really it was, I just did the next right thing. The next thing that, that resonated with. No, that, that totally makes sense. And that, I mean, that's just the perfect answer. I feel like the podcast was kind of the same way where I, I wanted the success over there and I had no idea how to do a podcast, but I felt yeah. like this, this pull from my higher power to start one. And it's like, all right. So I ordered like a $20 mic on Amazon and started talking <laughs> and here I am, you know, two years later. And oh, I love it. I, I don't. So you've been on a learning curve as oh, well. For sure. And I don't know that I would say successful. Um, I guess that's kind of a relative term, but I would say mildly successful at podcasting, but definitely not um, definitely not like a Joe Rogan level or anything. But Did your ego just get in there and be like, all right, we're going to take this baby to the top. Like, did you have ideations of like, oh, of course, I- um, like if this thing takes off i can quit my job i can podcast full-time like i've definitely had those those fantasies of what could be but you know it it hasn't happened yet so at this point i still have to go to work every morning (laughs) i was like oh the people are like this is going to be the next movie the next i was like hold up wait up i'm like i had to like i had to bring it down i had to bring it way down to i'm going to talk to the girl in the back of the room Right. Like I had to like narrow it down to just me and one other person, because I'm telling you, when my ego got in this, we were like, I mean, it was it was outlandish. I was just like, I I can't even talk. I'm so overwhelmed. Like, who am I talking to? And I had to I had to do I had to just bring it right back down to regular size. (laughs) Yeah, I I had to have that mindset mindset shift as well. Of Like, I'm I'm just trying to reach one person. You know, if one person hears this episode and it changes their life or they have that aha moment then you know it's it's a success yes but i still have those hopes like maybe one day it'll get to that level where i can do it full-time but you know that's (laughs) that's not the ultimate goal at this point the goal is just to to help people and 
And honestly, I get so much out of having conversations with other people in recovery and just being able to make these connections. You know, these are people that you and I probably would never have met if it wasn't for the podcast, even though we live kind of close to each other. We, you know, there, I guess there, there, I mean, I guess there's a, a chance that we might have, but there's so many guests that I, that I've had on from, you know, other countries, other States all around the world that I never would have made that connection with. So if, yeah. if even if it's not helping anybody, it's helping me. Exactly. And you know what that was told to me at once from one of my dear friends saying, you know what, maybe Jules, the book, you wrote the book for you. And I was blown away because of course my focus was elsewhere, but yes. And that's how source works for me is like, you know, you do something that, that resonates with you. And ultimately there's all these other areas that benefit from it. Right. They told us like, you know what, you just come to the meeting and and focus on staying sober. The rest takes care of itself. That's totally an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But it's so difficult to do that at times. I don't know about you, but I like to take that control back. I like to be in control. I don't like to trust that my higher power is going to take care of things. If things are going good, sure, higher power take over. But when things start to get a little rocky or a little rough, I want to I want to take that take those reins back. You know, I I got this. I got this. That's so hard to to let go and like God. You know, it's that's I don't know. I I've struggled with that over the years. Like that's one of the things that I'm still still working on for sure. You know, I think it's definitely a practice. You know, I compare a lot of recovery to just like working out, right? It's like you just go and you keep, you stay focused on the goal, right? And I think also like the more often I talk with other people about it, I'm reminded like in their stories, like, oh, look at, like he's completely not grabbed the reins and his world's a shitstorm right now. Like they're still very faith-based and like, you know, like the source has got this. All, all I have to do is keep pedaling, you know, God's got the wheel type of thing. And it's like, so I think for me, it's more listening to a lot of other people do it. That's how I've learned to do it because I'm just like you, especially when things get crazy. I got it. Mm-hmm. No, that's the reason why we're here. Jules <laughs> is because you got it. Right, right. And I need that. I need that reminder constantly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's an old timer at my group, and and one of the things that he says all the time, and and I feel like I've started to adopt it into my life. But he says practice makes better. <gasps> oh yes, and I love that because that and and that can mm. apply to any area, whether it's you know trying to take my con- my will and my life and control back. You know, I have to practice those things to get better. You know, what whatever area it is, podcasting, practice makes better. If you go back and listen to my first couple episodes. They're not, they're not as good as they are now. You know, whatever area it is, practice makes better. Practice never makes perfect. I like that a lot. Yes. I love the idea that he resonates in your, in your thoughts. That's awesome because that's huge. (laughs) Well, I hope the committee committee is of the good folk, you know, the majority. Yeah. I, I needed I needed to get some of the some of the good stuff in there because my like I mean it's so cliche to say but but my own thoughts were what got me in my mess I need I need some outside information yeah. to to succeed. And I've also I've been told that I cannot find solution with the same process that found the problem. Mm-hmm. You know I can't think my way out of a thought. Like I cannot personally cannot think myself out of a thought. I have to have something else come in. 
And thank God we have people like this. Absolutely. With those thoughts in our head. Absolutely. Well, we're getting a, kind of towards the end of the time, so I would love if you would if you wouldn't mind letting the uh, listeners know if they're interested in your memoir, where they can find it, what kind of options they have, um, your different social media platforms where they can find you, all that kind of information. Yeah, you know what we did is we have this amazing website. It's, called, it's the title of the book, themakingofawoman.com. And there, of course, you'll find where you can uh, purchase the book. It goes through Amazon. And you will find all of the various events that we have going on. We did some giveaways. We just, I mean, it was, it's been a lot of fun. And you'll also see all of the links to the various platforms I'm on. Um, I do have a small team that brings this all together, but I am the one who does the social media interaction. So any of the messages and stuff, those babies are mine. So I have, I'm very grateful when people reach out and tell me what they think or questions that they may have. Um, I also have a contact tab in there. And if there's ever a time where somebody needs to reach out and just run something by me or other women who have been in my shoes or men who have a sister who are in, you know, anything like that, send me some information and we'll set up a zoom and, and, and let's talk about it. So definitely the making of a woman.com. That's my go-to you'll find. It. And also I blog there too. So not only talking about the past, I talk about things that that are present, <laughs> what I'm working through right now. So just a little bit more of a reality. That's awesome. Well, I, I really do appreciate you coming on today. And I'm, I'm so glad that we finally made this work. Like we were talking about at the <laughs> beginning of the episode, we've had a, a few little snafus and had a hard time making this happen, but I'm, I'm so grateful that it did. And I know that that somebody out there that's listening to this episode is going to hear something that you said. And that's going to be yeah. the, the thing that they need, that key to unlock the door or, or that aha moment or whatever it is that, that that's, that's something that you said today is just going to change somebody's life. And I, I really do believe that. Yeah. And I'm so grateful that you came on today. I'm grateful that you do the platform, you know, that, that you suit up and show up and you, and you provide this for people. Because, you know, when we're in the depths of it, we're in the dark places. I'm not sitting around as some social club. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm at home in isolation, listening to something. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you've created the platform. Well, I, I hope that the people that are in that spot are able to find it and they can find a message that, that just might save their life. So I'm grateful that yeah. I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to be of service in this way and try to try to spread the message to people that may not hear it otherwise. So, you know, I totally. just, like you said, I just, I just suit up and show up and I, I, I do what my higher power tells me to do. So here I am. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing it until I'm told to stop. I got it. I'm right there with you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. I really, really do appreciate it. You are welcome. Thank you. Jules, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate it. Guys, I would encourage you to check out the links in the show notes to find out more information about Jules. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.